turn in the scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to be studying. One of the primary activities our congregation engages in is the study, the devotion to the apostles' teaching. That's because the early church did it. It's also because it's life-changing. We've been studying for the past few weeks the first letter of Peter. Peter was Jesus' lead disciple. And we've been studying the first letter of Peter. He wrote it to suffering Christians. And he reminds them of the grace that has come to them from the triune God. God the Father has chosen them. God the Son has shed his blood for their forgiveness and and for their, their freedom from sin and death. And God the Spirit has opened our eyes to the details of our hope. We have been blessed with grace from God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And Peter stressed throughout the first chapter, which we finished studying last week, he stressed that that hope leads to holiness. That hope leads to change of life. That hope leads to a total devotion, a commitment to God. That's Peter's stress. That's the stress of this apostle, this lead apostle. See, we're devoting ourselves to the apostle's teaching, and we're learning that we're blessed with grace from the triune God, and we have our eyes open to hope, and that hope leads us to life change, and at the center of that life change is love. And that's really where we start reading today, is where Peter is encouraging love. Look at 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. Peter says, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Here, Peter is quoting Isaiah 28. That was written 700 years before Peter. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, note those key words, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, Peter says, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, here he quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and he quotes Isaiah again, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, those who refuse to submit their lives to Jesus, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, now he's going to sharply contrast the people to whom he's writing, the suffering believers to whom he's writing. He sharply contrasts them with those who reject Jesus. He says, you, however, are a chosen race. Continue reading verse 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he comes back to his exhortation to be marked by love rather than self-centeredness. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, It's referring to selfish desires. Abstain from those desires which wage war against your soul. 
Instead, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Hmm. On the day he returns, they would have submitted their lives through your testimony. First Peter, this letter is all about encouraging us to testify of Jesus in our word and in our lives. And here he's stressing, have a life that cannot be accused of being problematic, self-centered. I want to briefly state Peter's main point. I'm going to explain it in two ways, and then I'm going to apply it. Peter's main point is this. Christian love deepens with Christian identity. If you want your love to grow, then deepen in your understanding of who you are in Jesus. Christian love deepens with Christian identity. So Christian, your love for others will grow as you increasingly realize how much God loves you. I want to dig deeper into this Christian love and Christian identity. Our message is going to have really just two simple points. Okay, the first one is this. Peter commands every Christian to keep growing in love and warring against selfishness. That's bookending the section we just read. Verses 1 and 2 and verses 11 and 12. Keep growing in love and keep warring against your selfishness. That's Peter's main message. He says there in verse 1, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. One of the things that this implies, Tri-County Bible Church, let's acknowledge it right up front. This is the apostles' teaching that we need, to, we need to submit to. Let's just understand that this implies that every Christian still struggles pretty constantly with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And Peter tells us that we must continually be putting them away. Do you know that it's very common, sadly, it's very common for Christians to live with ill will toward others, including Christians? That's fairly common even in churches. It shouldn't be, but it is. How many Christians are deceitful? They show one face at church, and they're a totally different person when they're at home. Christians still struggle with deceit. Hypocrisy? I'm a pastor. It grieves me how many pastors are known in newspaper headlines for preaching against impurity and then living in filth. We still struggle with hypocrisy, being one way in front of people and another way in private. How common is it for Christians to slander others with their words? If we do it behind their backs, we call it gossip. If we do it in front of their faces, we call it abusive speech. You good for nothing? Or we go behind their backs and we slander them. We don't need to share information, but we do. Peter's writing to Christians, and he's implying that all of us still struggle in all these ways. And he says, verse 2, put them away. All these kinds of habits, these actions, put them away. And he likens us to newborn infants that need to grow up. We need to mature. He, in verse 11, repeats his concern. And notice he's writing to people he loves. Beloved. Beloved. Keep warring against these selfish desires to put yourself up and others down. Keep warring against these desires. Now, 
we transition to the second point by asking, what is it that drives Christians to keep pursuing love and to keep warring against selfishness? What is it that keeps us fighting? What fuels us? Well, we have learned over and over from Peter in this first letter. I stressed it in each of the last two messages, and I'm going to stress it again right here. That what encourages us to keep warring against our selfishness and what encourages us, what fuels us to keep pursuing a growth in love in our lives is not that we're trying to earn God's love. It's not that we're trying to earn God's favor. Don't think of yourself almost like an orphan who is trying to behave really well so that that adult comes in and observes us, and we behave good, 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 and maybe they'll adopt us. That might be a powerful motivator, and actually that kind of thinking characterizes basically every false Christianity out there. You keep trying to earn God's favor. You can never be certain of God's love. Keep trying to earn it. Keep working toward it, and maybe someday you'll be welcomed by God. That is completely opposite the apostles. That's not how Peter thinks in this passage. It might seem like a powerful motivator, but it's exactly opposite the Bible's thinking. According to Peter, what drives Christians to keep changing, to keep pursuing love and putting off self-centeredness, what drives us is grace. God's grace. We're not pursuing love in order to earn God's love. It's not it at all. We pursue loving others because God has loved us, because we're so loved by God. And that leads us to the second point. Peter describes every Christian's new identity. He describes every Christian's new identity. We belong to God, and we're forever loved and treasured by him. We belong to him, and we are forever loved and treasured by him. That's our new identity And our pursuit of love and our warring against our selfishness grows out of our understanding of our identity. Peter stresses God's grace, this love that we have from God all through the passage. Look at verse 3. Here he's echoing Psalm 34 when he says, Every Christian has tasted that the Lord is good. So good that he gave Jesus to die so that we could be cleansed from our sins, so that we could be rescued from sin and death. Have you tasted that God is good? Secondly, Peter says in verses 4 to 6, that Christian, you are really just like Jesus. Jesus was rejected by people, but he was chosen, and he was precious to God. And Peter says, you follow Jesus in the same way. You might be rejected by people right now. That's okay. Allow other people to reject you. Just know that you're chosen and precious to God. You're chosen by him, precious to him. And then climactically, in verses 9 and 10, these verses are just amazing. I wish I could go into tons of detail, but I can't. You'll be happy to know that I basically deleted about a page out of my message. Some of you won't be happy. You'll say, you should have just gone for 1230. Uh, No, I'm not. I wish I could go into more detail, but I can't. This is where, in verses 9 and 10, Peter just uncorks. Peter quotes in these two verses, you might have them in the margin of your Bible, Isaiah 43, 20, 
Exodus 19.4, and Hosea 2.25. Now, I'll say that again. He quotes Isaiah 43, Exodus 19, and Hosea 2, all in these two verses, okay? One of the things you need to know, just very, like, simple stuff, Jesus' apostles treasured the Bible. Jesus' apostles treasured the Bible. Don't ever think that you can be a solid Christian without knowing and treasuring the Bible. Solid Christians bleed Bible. If we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, one of the things we get from Peter is devotion to the Bible. We know the Bible. We bleed the Bible when we think about who I am in Jesus. But when you put all of these descriptions from Isaiah and Exodus and Hosea together, and Peter weaves them together for us, he wants us to know that every Christian, every Christian should realize that he or she is chosen by God, valued by God, treasured by God, honored as royalty by God the King. Every Christian is freed from slavery by God. Every Christian is privileged to mirror God's love and forgiven by God, faithfully loved by God, just like Hosea pursued his unfaithful wife. God faithfully pursues us. We're faithfully loved by God, and we will forever receive God's kindness. Do you see how this is identity shaping? Do you realize that God loves you? He's chosen you. He values you. He treasures you. You belong to him. He loves you. Peter teaches that our love will grow as our understanding, our realization of our identity grows. Now, I want to conclude with an application right? Christian, do you realize how important your sense of identity is? Your sense of identity can divide you from others. That's why we've put in the bulletin today a two-page article on identity politics. Identity politics are inherently divisive. Your sense of identity can divide you from others, or your sense of identity can drive you to love others. I quote from David Murray's book, Reset. It's a great book. I've read it a few times. And he warns that there is something much worse than identity theft that can happen online. He writes, Russian fishers, imposters who are posing as rich Nigerian widows, just wondering who they can give their money to, Chinese hackers, these are the least of our problems. We're vulnerable to far more dangerous identity thieves that are far more difficult to detect. The identity thief of pride, Hollywood, parental pressure, success, disappointment, failure, aging, bereavement, the church. Pastors need this especially. We can get our identity wrapped up in the church and so on. These have been far more successful at stealing our identities than any online thieves. He's absolutely right. Murray goes on to explain, if the most important question in the world is who is God, then the second most important question is who am I? And so many Christians do not answer that question like Peter commands us to. When you think, who am I? How many times does 
I'm chosen, I'm valued, I'm treasured, I'm loved, I belong. I will forever be pursued by God's faithful love. I will forever receive God's kindness. Does that dominate your sense of personal identity? Peter says it should. Wow. Rather than saying, I'm loved by God, so many Christians define ourselves by our job. That's our main identity, our job. I'm a successful businessman, and I feel pretty good about myself. Or, I feel like I'm a failure. I'm a guy who can't keep a job, and, and, and we think of ourselves as, as failures as a result. Rather than saying, I'm precious to God, many Christians define themselves by what they have or what they lack. Rather than saying, I'm special to God, we want to find our identity in whether people like us. I'm very well liked by other Christians. Or, we think of ourselves as the Christian that always opens up in relationships and constantly gets burned. Rather than our identity being rooted in our relationship with God, we allow the dominant piece of our identity to be our job, to be our possessions, or to be our reputation. See, we can be guilty as Christians of an identity theft that is much more subtle than an online account being hacked. But it has everything to do with our day-to-day living and whether we can really love other people. When we lack a rich sense of being chosen by God, forgiven by God, treasured by God, when we lack this, we have very little power to live a life of love. We're crippled spiritually, and Peter knows this. Christian, you will lose your sense of identity, and as a result, you will lose your power to love. Lose your sense of identity. You'll lose your power to love. You'll be crippled spiritually. Peter knows this. Now, I want to speak quickly to those who are not Christians, those who are not followers of Jesus. I want to urge you to consider your sense of identity and consider maybe how empty it is. You know, if you define yourself by your family relationships, What happens when your family relationships change, when someone in your family turns against you or passes away? It can unmake you as a person. If you define yourself by your actions, what happens when you mess up? Or, maybe even worse, what happens when you live a life and everyone around you likes you? What do you have at the end of life? The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about that question. What happens if you define yourself by your job? What happens if you lose your job? Or, even worse, what happens when you have a very successful job and you get to the end of your career? If your identity is wrapped up in your job, you find, my identity's empty. Consider it. Do you see how anchoring your identity in anything other than God is empty, it's temporary, and it can turn on you very quickly? Beware. You need to confess those God substitutes. And you need instead to rely on Jesus who died for your guilt, who rose again to offer you eternal life, to offer you a a spot where you could actually be honored by God, reign with Jesus, inherit the kingdom. That's where your identity should be placed. That is an identity 
that won't ever be taken away from you, like Peter said in chapter 1. Call on Jesus to save you if you haven't. Call on him to forgive you. And you will find that you can wrap up your identity in Jesus as your God, your King, your Savior, your Shepherd. That's where your identity can rest permanently. So Christian, if you're relying on Jesus, don't stop. And let Peter's words here shape your sense of identity. I speak particularly to Brenton and to Tim. I'm so thankful for the testimony you brothers have shared this morning. It's been deeply influential. I don't think I will forget it. But let me encourage both of you to realize the identity that was just powerfully pictured. You brothers are united with Jesus. You are chosen by God, loved by God, valued by God, treasured by God. And let that anchor you. Because I don't know. None of us know what the future holds. Sufferings, hardships, persecutions. We don't know. Be anchored in the reality that you are chosen by God, loved by God. You're forever recipients of God's mercy. And if you keep that anchor, no matter what happens, you will not be shaken from from love. You will not give in to bitterness, to malice, to slander when the going gets tough. You will have reserves out of which to keep showing love to other people because you yourself are loved inseparably loved by God. And all of us need to take this encouragement. Let Peter's words shape our identity and produce love in our lives. If we are chosen, loved, and treasured by God, then let's live like it. Father, help us to rejoice in your grace, to hope in the future that's ours, to be driven to love by the love you've shown us. And I pray that we would be anchored deeply in your love for us so that we would not give in to anxiety and fear, so that we would not give in to bitterness, anger, and slander. God, I pray that your love would produce love in our lives. For Jesus' glory, amen.